We are going to begin a series for five weeks today, four in a row, then a couple of breaks, and then uh, we'll finish it up, which I've creatively titled, Preparing for Your New Pastor. How's that for a jazzy, jazzy title, right? Uh, appropriately, because uh, God is at work in, um, in your congregation, preparing you for your next leader and preparing that next leader for his season here with you folks. And next week, we're going to talk about the legend of Super Pastor. I don't know if you've heard of this person, uh, but Super Pastor is uh, an expectation that a lot of people have, so next Sunday we're going to talk about that. Following that, uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter 5 and talk about shepherds and cowboys, kind of a vision for the way leaders lead, the way the elders are to lead. And you're ready for this? Then following two weeks, we're going to talk about how to have a good fight, okay? Now, notice the emphasis is on the word good, not on the word fight. We're going to talk about how, as congregations, as we move through life together, leaders and people together, if there are two humans in the room, occasionally sparks are going to fly. You ever notice that? Uh, In marriage relationships, in parent-child relationships, in local church relationships, If there are humans involved, eventually there are going to be disagreements over this, that, or the other. And so uh, it's just a good opportunity to remind ourselves that God has not left us without principles to guide us as we come to, to work through situations that we might be seeing differently from one another. And today we're going to talk about football season is beginning here. Everyone play your position from Ephesians 4. So if you want to get your Bible open to Ephesians 4, that's where we're going to be. Notice these statistics here from Lifeway Research and Fuller Institute. Kind of shocking, but I think it, um, it's not all that surprising if you just look around you and think about uh, the average local church. The average pastoral stay is 3.6 years. That's not, that's not very long. 54% of pastors report frequently feeling overwhelmed with all the plates they have to keep spinning. 50% of pastors confess this. They're so discouraged that if they had the opportunity, they would leave if they could. And sometimes it's just those, uh, you know, situations of needing a paycheck and needing to sell a house or whatever that keeps a man connected where he is. That's a discouraging statistic. 48% feel the demands of ministry are more than they can handle. Actually, that one is surprising to me. I thought it would be more like 98% feel. So I'm a little worried about the 52% that apparently feel the demands of ministry are not more than they can handle. But 48% feel that they just, they can't handle this and probably confessing they're near the edge of stepping aside from it. And 100% know a friend who has left the ministry uh, for any of these reasons here, burnout, conflict, or moral failure. So my question for you this morning is to think about, as a congregation, how does Bethany Grace Fellowship avoid becoming one of those churches being part of that statistic where pastors feel unwelcomed, unappreciated, 
feel overwhelmed, struggling with burnout, etc., and only stays for a short time and on to the next place where the grass seems greener. Well, I think Ephesians 4 has some help for us here. So what I want to do is just read, and you can follow along. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, verses 1 down through verse 16, a little longer text here. And as I read this, I want you to listen. Let's open our eyes and open our ears and listen for the vision that God has for you, his people, here at Bethany Grace Fellowship. There really is a portrait of the church that God wants us to become. So verse 1, therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit just as you, as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Wow. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the Scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is, brothers and sisters, God's word for us today. So let's take a look at what I see as God's vision for Bethany Grace Fellowship. There are several descriptors here in the text. Let's just think about each of them momentarily. First one is actually a part of your new mission and vision statement, and that is the goal of being united or unified. He mentions it here in verse 13. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith. Now, unity is not 
uniformity. It, it doesn't mean that everybody thinks alike, says the same thing, uh, has the same perspectives, always agrees about everything. That, that's uniformity, right? That's impossible where humans with all of our diversity are involved. No, he's, he's calling us to unity, and it's not just unity for, at the expense of truth. No, there's, there's something that unites us together, and that is what we've been singing about and thinking about today. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we sinners, rebels, separated from God by our sin, God in his redemptive rescue mission has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the second person of the Trinity, who came and lived a perfect life and died a death we could not die and rose from the dead and offers to all people forgiveness for our sins. That's, that's the gospel that unites us together. Now, there are particulars of church doctrine from one denomination to another, from one independent fellowship to another, where we see things a little differently. But around these essential truths of Christian orthodoxy, affirmed by the church for the entire 2,000 years of its history, he's calling us to come together in unity. Now, this unity is enabled here, if you look back earlier in the text, look with me down at verse 2. There are some virtues here that lead to unity. He says there, always be humble. That's the first thing. In, in the Greek culture to which Paul was writing, humility was considered a weakness. Now, it was a chest-thumping, rise-to-the-top, uh, at-others-expense kind of a culture. And here is Paul actually championing this idea that humility is a virtue, this idea of putting others' perspectives and thoughts before your own, deferring to others, sometimes at the expense of what you'd like to see happen, that, that is a virtue that Paul is calling us to. Pride often results in clash, but when people are serving one another humbly, that is a help to unity. He talks about being gentle, verse 2, right? And the idea of gentle doesn't mean I'm a doormat, I lay down and let people walk over me. It means, no, my emotions, the power, the strength of my life, they're under control of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, be patient with one another. This idea of enduring long, long-suffering, not quick to retaliate against each other, making allowance, he says, for each other's faults because of your love. I love it when someone makes allowance for my faults, right? We all love that. And so he's calling us all to unity. This is, this is God's vision for Bethany Grace Fellowship. He's also calling us to maturity. Look at verse 13b. What a beautiful picture this is. The, um, the, the vision here, verse 13, that we would all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You know, it's not only people who go to seminary that God is calling into this knowledge of the gospel so complete that it's, 
It's producing changes in your life personally, and you're growing to become more and more like Christ as an individual. And when a group of individuals like that gather into a congregation, that congregation is growing to be more and more like their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. This maturity is a vision of people who understand the essential truths of the gospel so well that they can share it with others and they can order their own lives by that understanding of the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about perfection here. We're still sinners and we still sin. But we're talking about a general direction where we are growing to this point of being more and more progressively complete like the Lord Jesus Christ in all of our relationships and all of our responsibilities. God calls us to a vision of spiritual safety. Look at verse 14. He says there that God's vision is that we will no longer be immature, right? We've been talking about maturity. What's it look like? Well, that we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And what a, what a descriptor here. Being influenced by people who try to trick us with lies that sound like the truth. Do you know in Paul's day, the false teachers who wanted to come to local churches and disrupt and pull people away from the truth of the gospel, they had to hit the road and network and, you know, worm their way relationally into these local bodies all over the, the, the world as new churches were being planted. But you know what? In our day, it's quite different. The, the false teachers have not been eradicated. There's still lots of people preaching lies that are so clever, they sound like the truth, but they're not the truth. And here's the, here's the scary part that we all should be sobered by. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to wait till a false teacher comes to your church. There are false teachers in everybody's pocket or purse right today. It's called a smartphone. <laughs> and false teaching is, is propagated across the internet in, in mind-numbing speed, in ways that Paul, I, I think, could never have envisioned. And so what an important thing it is that God's people know the gospel so well, know the truth so well, that they can spot a counterfeit. Uh, I'm told that bank tellers, when they're being trained for their, their job as a bank teller, they don't have to memorize all the different versions of counterfeit $20 bills. Instead, what they have to become experts in is the, the real McCoy, you know, the, the actual genuine article. What are the characteristics of the true $20 bill sanctioned by the United States government? They become so aware of the real thing that they can quickly spot a counterfeit. Well, here's Paul calling us to that kind of familiarity and confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The final part of this vision is a vision of community, verse 15 and 16 here. He talks to us about speaking truth in a loving way. Now, this obviously has to do with just, you know, not telling lies about something when we're talking to someone, but he's contrasting this with not speaking the lies that sound like the truth about the gospel, but instead proclaiming gospel truth to one another. 
And that when we're doing that, look at this beautiful description here in verse 15. As we are speaking truth, as we are reminding each other of the foundational truths of the gospel, we will be growing more and more. It's this beautiful progressive picture of growth. To be more like Christ. And the whole body then is fitting together perfectly as each one does their own special work. You know, by virtue of the gospel of Christ, we become a community where people can come and find true connection with others. You know that every human being, we have a longing to be united to another human being. It's a social magnet God put in every single one of us. It's a good thing. But very often, churches, large churches, small churches, uh, can, can, you can be surrounded by people and yet completely alone. You ever notice that? Sometimes in the smaller church, the person trying to break in to become part feels like, you know, there's a special group. There must be a meeting outside of the main meeting when everybody finds out what's going on. And I, I can't quite get over the hurdle to become part of this smaller group. In a large church, it's equally pretty easy to be kind of sort of lost in the crowd. But here, Paul's vision is for this body to be joined together in such a way that across social barriers, across racial and ethnic barriers, across economic strata, that God's people are coming together united in the gospel in a way that the world cannot replicate outside of the institution of the local church. That is God's vision for us. Well, years ago, when I was pastoring in Indianapolis, I had a conversation with a, a man in, in our congregation that has, I've reflected on many times through the years. This guy had come out of a background of alcoholism and had trusted Christ as Savior, and God had begun to change his life in some, some pretty dramatic ways. But uh, he was struggling at this point in his life with, with depression, and he was going through some family problems. And one afternoon, we were having a conversation, and he, he said to me, Pastor, I, uh, I have to tell you, I'm really, I'm really having a hard time breaking into relationships here in our church. Uh, we had a men's ministry with small accountability groups, and four or five men would be in a group. They would meet together uh, weekly, you know, to just check up on one another and, and encourage one another in their faith. And I, I asked him, I said, are, are you part of one of those groups? He said, oh, yeah, I am. He said, when, when I heard you announce that we had these special groups, I thought, that's it. That's how I'm going to feel connected in this place. So he said, I, I've been going for a number of months now. We meet together every week. And I said, well, what's the problem? I mean, it sounds to me. He says, here's the problem. We, we never get past talking about just the weather and the baseball teams and whatever's going on. Or, or it seems like we, we just never get past that, that, that wall, you know. He said, you know what I've been thinking recently? He said, when I was hanging out in the bars in my pre-conversion life, he said, those other guys bellied up to the bar next to me. He said, there was a, com there was a community there. He said, we, we actually were sharing life together. 
Now, he admitted they were sharing the problems of life, the questions of life, but nobody really had any satisfying answers in that community. But there was something that he had there and experienced there that he was missing in the community of Christian brothers. And he said, that's what, you know, that's what my heart's longing for. And he said, I know, I know they don't have answers. If we've got the answers, why can't we, why can't we really build life and share life together around these answers? I prayed with him that afternoon and encouraged him to keep, you know, keep moving, be part of the solution. It's a sad story, but he ultimately walked away from his faith, walked away from his marriage, walked away from our congregation. And all because of a lack, I think, in this area of community. Well, we've got to keep going here. This is God's vision for us, that we would be centered on the gospel, united around the gospel, speaking the gospel to one another, intricately involved in one another's lives, so that we uh, ask the question, how are you doing? And we stay around to hear the answer. <laughs> and we're concerned about those answers in one another's lives. And by that means, Paul says, we grow into this body, unlike anything the world can produce, that is actually a safe, connecting place where people are becoming more and more like Christ and finding real answers to the questions of their lives. So, how do we, uh, how do we arrive at this? And here's the main idea of the challenge for you this morning. We move toward this vision, God's vision for your church, when both pastors and people function as God intended. Now, the last part of this sermon is a, is a 101, you know, level class on local church, pastor, and people, all right? You already know this. I'm just going to remind you of it. So everybody needs to play their position. So the pastor is mentioned here in verse 11 and 12. We have these gifts listed apostles, prophets. Uh, I see those as foundational gifts that uh, were, were given for the founding of the church. Those people still have the gift of prophecy. It's not functioning in exactly the same way as it did in the foundational uh, era of the church. Uh, we are given, Christ has given evangelists to his church. We might think of them today as missionaries, people that take the gospel where the gospel has not been heard, people that have that special gifting to share what Christ has done to others who have not yet come to understand what Christ has done. And then the last part of verse 11, he mentions the shepherd teacher. It's actually, I think, both those descriptors, pastors and teachers. There's one article, I think it goes together, it's like teaching shepherds, uh, teaching pastors. The pastor-teacher, I, I like to think of him as a, as a player coach. In other words, the pastor is not up here uh, just saying uh, to people, here's what you should do, you know, do as I say, not as I do. No, no, no. He's, he's setting the example by his own life. If he's telling you guys, get out there and evangelize the community, you're actually able to see him involved in that same pursuit. 
If he's saying, be humble and confess your sins to one another, as James encourages us, you're actually seeing him model this in, in his own life, where he's honest and transparent about spiritual struggles so that he can keep growing toward Christ. He's, he's like a player coach. He's encouraging others to be involved, training others to be involved, creating opportunities for others to be involved, and yet very much in the game himself. Like a shepherd, he is feeding the people of God. And so every week, week in, week out, he's preparing from God's Word meals, spiritual meals for you to enjoy and be nourished by. He's leading by his influence, by his teaching, by his own life example. And he's, as a shepherd, he's protective that wolves do not come in from without or via the smartphone and uh, start speaking lies that sound like truth and cause people to veer off from their standing in the gospel. Most importantly, here is the responsibility, verse 12, of the pastor. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. In other words, to, to train people to bring them to this uh, place of their own spiritual growth where they are recognizing the gifts that God has given them and they're plugging those gifts in to ministry. That brings us to the people. Do you realize that ministry, the ministry of the gospel, it's not a spectator sport? I love the definition of American football. It's 80,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 men on the field desperately in need of rest. You know what? Local church ministry is like that sometimes. It's all the people paying the bills, paying the guy's salary, desperately in need of exercising their gifts for ministry, but cheering or not cheering the guy on the field, the professional we hired to do the work of ministry. Do you hear how Paul's vision for pastoral ministry cuts right across that? It's completely the opposite. Now, he's involved in ministry, but his task by virtue of being pastor is to equip you to learn your own gifting so that you can do the work of gospel ministry in the lives of the the people that your life touches and in one another's lives. That's his job description. In other words, people are equipped, they're growing, and here's the important thing, they're plugged in and they're serving, and the result, as Paul says here in verse 16, is the whole body just gets stronger when that happens. One of our uh, vacation weeks this summer, we wound up down in Dallas, Texas, where our our second son is uh, living and and, uh, working and is in the process now of becoming a member of a, of a church there in North Dallas, and we had the opportunity to visit that church with, with Jared. Uh, it's a large church. They run several thousand on a Sunday morning in several services, and uh, yeah, it's very interesting. It's not your typical large mega church where it's very possible for people to sort of be consumers of preaching and worship and, you know, but really walk in the doors and walk out unchanged and and really uncommitted. Now, this church is very different. They require, in order for you to become a member of this congregation, you have to be, make a commitment 
to some form of service in the congregation or in the community, and that's the only way you become a member. In other words, there's nobody in the pews just the old saying, sitting and soaking and souring, okay? In other words, people are conduits. The teaching they're getting through the church is immediately flowing out of their lives into the lives of others. They're all serving in some way. And here's the most radical part of this. When my son told me this, I couldn't believe it, but I got on the website and checked it out. It's true. Every year, they clean the membership rolls. No one's a member after one year. You have to recommit <laughs> after every year. Now, Steve, I'm thinking logistically, like, wow, <laughs> that would be challenging with all these thousands of people. But you see there, the, the, the madness behind that method is they believe Ephesians 4. God is calling every one of us to serve, consistent with the gifting, consistent with the opportunities that God has given us, but we're all called to serve, and the player coach pastor is the guy that's helping us grow and helping us identify our gifts and indeed helping us serve effectively. Here's a quote from Tom Rayner that I think is a fitting way to close here this morning. If outside forces and culture were the reasons behind declining and non-influential churches, we would likely have no churches today. The greatest periods of growth, particularly the first century growth, took place in adversarial cultures. Think of that. We are not hindered by external forces. We are hindered by our own lack of commitment and selflessness. So here's the life lesson for you. Team success it depends on both pastor and people fulfilling their God-given roles in the ministry of the gospel. So just a couple of encouragements as we close this morning. If you have not yet joined God's team, you, you, you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, we would plead with you in Christ's stead to accept the free gift of salvation that Christ has made possible for you and come into the family. And maybe you've uh, become uh, part of God's family, but you haven't yet committed to being a part of the family here at Bethany Grace Fellowship. Well, I would encourage you, may not be Bethany Grace Fellowship is the place you're supposed to be as you continue, you know, seeking the Lord's will in your own life, but you're definitely supposed to be connected and committed somewhere in one of God's local bodies of believers and so uh, don't, don't be a free agent, right? Get on a team somewhere. Come in, be involved. If you're not growing in your spiritual life, if you've kind of reached a level of stagnation, that should be something that would cause you great concern and at least the step to, to ask for help, you know, to ask someone to help you find what is it in my life that's caused this stagnation and where is it that God is wanting me to grow, to become more like Christ. And if you're not serving in the local church, pretty much every Sunday we've been here, I've heard somebody make announcements. By the way, Grant, those were amazing announcements today. Every Sunday we've been here, I've heard somebody make an announcement about a need for volunteers, a need for people to get plugged in. 
So here's Paul saying, you got to get plugged in. And here are your elders and leaders on the platform saying, we have lots of opportunities for you to get plugged in, no matter your gifting. So by God's grace, let me encourage you to take that next step and, and be part of this growing body of believers that's going to achieve that, that beautiful vision of gospel-saturated maturity, unity, and impact in this community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the, the terrific work you are doing in local churches all around the world as a part of your redemptive purpose. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here at Bethany Grace Fellowship, how we give you thanks for the unity that we see in this congregation and the, the blessing, the, the obvious blessing of your hand upon these brothers and sisters as they are coming through this period of transition. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we all might adopt this goal of becoming this kind of person and this kind of church rooted in the gospel, connected to one another, every person on the team serving. And we continue to trust you, Lord, to guide us through your spirit uh, to the next leader who's going to be the player coach here at Bethany. And these things we pray in Jesus' name.